I think going back to what does the community need? How can I support that with my business, with myself? How do I make our community better and stronger? Like right now, there's a young woman from our community who wants to have a business, doesn't want to do so, but she's worked for me since she was like 12 years old. It's meeting her where she's at. What what is she trying to do and how can I and my business support this young Indigenous woman to grow her business? everyone. Welcome to Venture Out, a podcast series from Entrepreneurth that shares the brave stories of Northerners who are inspiring innovation and community well-being through business. I'm your host, Zena Cowan. We are fires across the tundra. We are ice of a million years. Our mothers, our fires. Testing, testing, check, check. Okay, we're back, and we're so glad that you're here. This is season two of Venture Out, and we've got a great lineup of guests for you. So get ready to meet Indigenous entrepreneurs from across the North who are all catalysts of prosperity and drivers of social change within their communities. Over the last five years at Entrepreneurth, We've gotten to know and work with many business owners from the Northwest Territories, Nunavut and the Yukon, and Venture Out is our way of sharing their stories with you. The North is a beautiful place. It's where I call home and it's unlike anywhere else. And that means that operating a business up here, especially in the more remote communities, has its own unique opportunities and challenges, as today's guest will certainly tell you. We're dedicating the first episode of this season to Northern Toshone entrepreneur Joella Hogan, who's a member of the Nacho Nayak Dunn First Nation and is the owner of the Yukon Soaps Company, which offers soaps handcrafted in the boreal forest and made with ingredients like wild rose petals, fireweed, and sage. Joella lives and operates on her traditional territory in the small town of Mayo, Yukon, which is about 400 kilometers north of Whitehorse. She and her team make a lot of soap, but that's not all. She also has two new business ventures that she'll be talking about later in her interview. Joella's becoming a recognized and celebrated business leader for various reasons, But what stands out to me is how she's using her ventures as opportunities to create deeper impact in her community, specifically around language revitalization and uplifting young people, one of whom you'll meet in the episode. Joella was actually a member of the very first Entrepreneur Cohort program five years ago. And ever since then, she's been a really active part of our family and we love her and we're very proud of her. So let's dive into the episode and meet Joella.
Joella, it's so good to see you. And this morning, I was thinking about how you've been a part of the Entrepreneur family from the very beginning. And just recently, you were the keynote speaker at one of our networking events, and you just had really beautiful things to say. And I could see people writing stuff down as you were talking. So I'm glad that you and I get to spend more time together today and have a conversation. Aw, thank you. Always fun to do stuff with you, Zena. And I really owe so much of my success and my business success to entrepreneurs. And so any way that I have an opportunity to connect with people that are part of the program and share my story, I will do it. Well, we appreciate you big time. Um, to get started, Joella, would you like to introduce yourself? Iji Joella Uji, Mayo Keiji, Ine Donna Hogan, Ite Doug Hogan, It's on Ella Rear, It's on Cho, Ellen Prophet, and Big Maisie. I am Joella, and I am here in my grandmother's traditional territory in central Yukon at the confluence of the Mayo and Stewart rivers and come from a long line of matriarchs and beautiful women connected to the land who have taught me so much. That's beautiful. I would love to hear more about the matriarchs and the people who raised you. They sound like pretty powerful people. I feel very, very fortunate. My mom was the second youngest of 10 children and she was a single mom and went to nursing school in Alberta, left me with my grandma. I was young, I don't really remember. Of course, I'm sure it was much harder for her, but she left to go away to school to make a better life for both of us. And when she returned to the Yukon to be a nurse, she was the first First Nation nurse back in the Yukon. So a huge trailblazer, which I didn't realize until I was much, much older. I just knew she was a nurse, but I didn't realize how important that was. I grew up knowing that you can sacrifice to, to make a better life. But at the same time, I was raised by my grandma and I remember her bringing me back to Mayo, visiting her sisters, going to visit her brothers and their families. And we joke now that some of those memories are sitting under the card table, you know, way late at night while they all played cards and smoked and that kind of thing too, right? But as well as beautiful memories of coming back to Mayo and picking berries and, and harvesting. Oh, for sure. And you guys must have had a lot of fun. I didn't know that about your mom. That's really cool. And Joella, when you were little... And she asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up. You told her, I don't think the job I want exists yet, which is interesting foreshadowing for the life that you're living now, because you were on a particular career path. Um, you went and got a Bachelor of Science and Environmental Planning from the University of Northern BC, and then you got a master's degree in Native and Rural Development from the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And for a long time after that, you were the manager of heritage and culture for your First Nation. So on a particular career path, uh, which I think still 
shows up today in big ways in everything that you're doing. But what was that shift for you to step into entrepreneurship? Because that's a pretty big leap. I mean, I think the like most basic thing is I just wanted to make more money. Right. And there's like right. no scheme and wanting to make more money. I'm like, I want to have a good life. I have bills to pay, but I also want to travel. I want to make more money. How can I make more money? So it's like, I need a side hustle. So I totally came at it from a different way. I didn't have like a craft or a hobby and then grow that into a business. I thought that's what I would have to do. But then, yeah, the opportunity came up to buy this business, right? I was like, oh, that's more my thing. And so at first I was like, well, this is crazy. And I remember actually making this decision that I was going to buy this business and going to like a dinner party at a friend's house and telling my friend group. And one of them was like, hmm, making soap's really hard. This is like a very, very good friend of mine who makes tons of things. You know, she's so talented. And of course she had made soap. So from her perspective, she was like, how is she just going to make soap and make money off of it? Because I was talking about a business, but she didn't realize like the scale of what I was stepping into that I wasn't starting with turning soap in my kitchen and then doing that, that I was already buying this brand that was already in shops around Canada. And doing so because it was a product I had already used for many years because it was this well-known Yukon brand. It used essential oils, it used plants. It was all of these things that I was already into. It wasn't something totally random. What's funny is that when I was exploring buying this business, I was so focused on how to make soap. I was like, do I have this right? What does this smell like? Da, da, da. Really now, that is so funny because making soap is like, I won't say the easiest because I still make big mistakes and like ruin ingredients. Like it's not perfect every time still. But that was such a small, small part of the business that there's so much else to running the business that I didn't, that I didn't know or fully understand. It took me a while to I get to the place where I saw it in, like you said, fitting into my bigger picture, like the social impact part, the community aspect of it. Because at first I just thought it was making soap in my basement to make more money. I didn't see all of the other things that it would become. So you purchased the Essential Soap Bar Company in 2012, and then in 2015, you renamed it to the Yukon Soaps Company. Um, you've got a great selection of soaps and scrubs and oils, and I think my personal favorites right now are the Spice Boy and the Yukon Wild Rose soap blends. But your mission statement goes far beyond the products. It reads, our mission is to empower, nurture, and elevate Northern Indigenous cultures, community, and people. So 
how over the years have you built a business that achieves this mission? There were different things happening, whether it was in my career, in my personal life, in my travels, like social media, all these different things coming at me, you know, influencing my thoughts, my creativity, my decision making. For sure, one of the shifts that happened was when I started to look more at the branding and how do I differentiate my brand from others, right? So I thought, how do I use my product to share stories and what story, whose story? Like, I don't want this to be about me. So what do I do? Where is the opportunity and what's the differentiator and it was a little hard because I had bought an established business that was not owned by Indigenous women it's not like I could take those products and then be like oh here's the Indigenous part of them I had to kind of figure that out I didn't want to like change all the names of those soaps because those were household staples so I really started working on new lines of soap And starting to talk more about the soap making and, you know, picking some of those plants, like the process of it and not so much those particular soaps. And so when I started talking about how being on the land is healthy for us, how it's good for our soul, when I started to use more language in our packaging in our branding but really doing it from a more intentional way and not just like this ingredient is called this but this is why we call it this and here's the story behind it like really starting to use my platform as a way to tell the story of the north of this little community that has been known as a mining community sharing that it's so much more than that, that our people are strong. We have so many like gifts on the land, you know, so many resources, so many materials. And so I think that's when I really started to see another shift too. So I'm rarely talking about like, oh, and this soap has the essential oil of clary sage or lavender or you know this soap is super moisturizing like for sure we get those questions but really the impact and beauty I guess behind the soaps and the business as a whole is the richness in the stories that we share. Right and I'm really starting to understand how all of what you brought to the business as somebody who had had this career in community work and relationship building, like how much that has driven your approach in building the Yukon Soaps Company. And I know that for you, Northern Toshone language and values have become these core pillars of the business. So can you tell me a little bit about the values and how they shape what you're doing at the Yukon Soaps Company? I was very fortunate that when I worked in my previous job as the manager of heritage and culture for my First Nation, that it was my job to spend time with elders, to listen to them. And I got to work with elders from throughout the Yukon. 
but especially Northern Tashoni. So also from our other communities of Pelly and Carmax. And so we would have these gatherings and workshops and, and meetings where it was my job to like sit and listen. And then from there create tools for future generations. So whether that's putting that into like booklets and recordings and comics and all this kind of stuff. I mean, so much of it was like old stories. So of course I can't share that through my brand, you know, cause that's knowledge that we, that we keep, but so much of the like bigger messages coming out were, you know, with regards to the language, like if we don't use it, we're going to lose it. And then related to values, these are things that you need to do to be a good Northern Toshone person, to live your life in a good way is the terms that the elders use. So I just thought if I can use those teachings that I took in living my life in a good way, bring them into my business and lead my business in a good way using those same values. And really, Zena, I think that that's when I started to see so much change. That part was very inward, not in our branding and marketing, but it was really like from the heart, grassroots, working with my team members on what does it mean to be a good Northern Toshone person? What does it mean to be a good member of our community and how do we conduct ourselves and how do we carry ourselves when we're on the land and what are those relationships like with each other and the rivers and all of that comes back into our business and into our products and I you know people really see that difference I guess and that care that compassionate that joy but also that dedication that our team has towards supporting like our vision and our mission. What point did you start to really feel in your soul that this business, the Yukon Soaps Company, was having a community impact? I think there's a few things. I tell this story often, but one of them was one of the young women that worked for me was doing her resume to apply for another job, and she wanted me to review it she had on their manufacturing and production for the Yukon Soaps Company and I was like what that sounds so big time you're just coming to my basement and putting 
stickers on soaps or wrapping soaps in little hankies like you're turning into this big thing she's like but it is and I was like you're right like to see the how a young person was putting this on their resume and I thought this is cool because none of these people ever aspire to be a full-time soap maker but what it's doing is hopefully providing them with like confidence communication skills accountability all of these things they need to go on in life and to get a better job and I never see myself as providing full-time work to people but I see it as their their journey is starting here and then going somewhere else so once I kind of clued into that I was like okay there's impact if I can find better ways to support people where they're at and get them where they need to be then I've succeeded but also not losing sight that we have so much soap to make because the world needs soap our brand is growing and so yes do all this stuff behind the scenes for social impact and social well-being but we got to keep moving absolutely you got to fill those orders and you got to keep making that soap um joella did you find that as your business was growing there were some pain points for you as you were trying to figure out how to meet demand while also having the type of community impact that you wanted to have? Like, I'm sure there were so many lessons that you learned. So many lessons and teachings and opportunities. One of them for sure was learning when to say no, that Sometimes these crazy opportunities would come up and I'd be like, that's amazing, but I just can't do it now. I'm still struggling with this a little bit that because my approach to building a team is more casual, because I don't have a full-time person doing operations in the soap shop, that is a challenge. I'm the bottleneck for sure. So much of it relies on me. But it's also hard because so many people in our community have so many other jobs, right? Everybody that wants to work can work. And so trying to find those people that are a right fit for our mission and our, you know, our business is, is challenging for sure. Being able to grow at the pace of our community was a big learning, you know, because even now, People are like, build a warehouse, make it bigger, make it bigger. It's like, well, first of all, who's going to work there? And I can't start bringing more people into our community because we don't have adequate housing. But also the cost right now, this is a huge pain point, the cost of having a manufacturing business in the North is going up and up as the cost of shipping and freight goes up and up. It's becoming more of a challenge. And so what does that mean for the Yukon Soaps business? I don't know. There's so many different ways that it could go and it could grow. I don't have that answer today, but there's so much work to be done in our communities to get us where we need to be. And what is my personal role in that and business role in that? Right. There's so many questions to be answering and challenges to be addressing on an ongoing basis. So when you're confronted with all of them, what are the thoughts that you go back to to ground you and to remind you why you're doing what you're doing? I think just going back to what does the community need? How can I support that with my business, with myself? 
how do I make our community better and stronger? I obviously see it as, you know, entrepreneurship and inspiring people to find employment that meets their values, finding or creating businesses that support connection to the land and language and culture, you know, that there's really so much need for that. And so continuing to be a voice for people to find their own path. But I think those are the little fires that keep me. Like right now, there's a young woman from our community who wants to have a business, doesn't want to do so, but she's worked for me since she was like 12 years old. It's meeting her where she's at. What what is she trying to do and how can I and my business support this young Indigenous woman to grow her business? So it's not related to soap or that kind of thing, but we have the tools within our community to support her. But all of this is in the context of like mental health crisis and opioid crisis. You know, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to meet with the prime minister. My message really was that we need culturally rooted mental health support systems, addiction and recovery programs, because if we don't have our people, we don't have innovation, we don't have small business, we don't have entrepreneurship. And so by investing in our people and mental health and really trying to address the crisis that we're in really has to be a priority because we deal with it within our own team. Mm -hmm. That's such a heavy burden. And I know that it does weigh on you a lot, Joella. Um, When you came to be our keynote at our cohort networking event recently, you brought a young person with you Uh, from Mayo. And when you opened your speech, you shared that anytime you go to an event, you try to bring a young person with you if you can, um, to offer them an opportunity to witness innovation in action and have a new experience, but also so that you can center them and acknowledge them in the room. And I thought you did that so beautifully at our networking event. And I could tell that, you know, she was shy, but she was also really happy to be there. And I just thought, you know, she's never going to forget this moment. Yeah, thanks. I really uh, started doing that a few years ago because I think, like, I remember my mom taking me to all of these Indigenous wellness conferences and workshops and just being in the room with all of these people like I still remember these different occasions and I thought you know I have to keep doing that too and you know the places that I go and the things I do are always so welcoming and if they're not then I'm going to make the point that you know we need to be having younger people here as well we hear it all the time in the community like you need to have your young people you need to have your young people and so bringing them to be around people doing badass things is so important and so it doesn't work in every opportunity but I I really try I mean I did it with I emceed the Bead Hide First Symposium Mm. before Christmas too and took a really young woman from our community uh, with us and so that she could see this room of hundreds of beautiful Indigenous women of all skin tones, sizes, cultures, language, 
abilities because this young Indigenous girl was struggling with her own identity and skin color and so wanted her to be able to see that she fits in this giant spectrum of Indigenous women. At Yukon Soaps, we're all about learning our language and promoting people speak their language. So I'm going to introduce myself in Northern Toshone, uh, my grandmother's language. Inzi Eileen Peter Uji. It's Sung Lucy Peter. It's Sam Peter. It's Sung Ida Peter. It's Mikolai Karkatka. <laughs> I just said that my name is Eileen Peter. My grandma is Lucy Peter. My grandpa is Sam Peter. My grandma is Ida Peter. And my grandfather is Mikolai Karkatka. Great to meet you, Eileen. I know that you hold a special place in Joella's heart and that you two have known each other for a long time both being from Mayo, and you also worked together at your First Nations Heritage Department. And now you play a really important role at the Yukon Soaps Company. Um, I understand that you support Joella, and you take care of a lot of the comms and the marketing and lots of behind-the-scenes stuff. So tell me about your role. Yes, I've been doing... Her newsletters, her blog, social media, some marketing, creating ads, um, her website, like you name it. She trusted me and let me explore all of these different parts of the business. And now, like I've seen all the different hats you have to wear as an entrepreneur. It's a lot. So I just do my best to kind of take some of that load off of her so she can focus more on mentorship and teaching more people. And when you're helping to operate a small business, you get to kind of have your hands in everything and you get to try a lot of stuff out and develop a lot of really useful transferable skills that you wouldn't necessarily get in, say, an office job. Um, if it's, if what you want is to be experiencing new stuff all the time, working for a small business is the way to do it, I think. Um, what, Eileen, for you is the most meaningful and purposeful part of the job? Um, 
I love how she was able to take our heritage background and then like put it seamlessly into her business. Like I wouldn't have thought to do that and she's done it so perfectly and so well. So I think the most meaningful part is being able to share cultural stories and experiences that we had in heritage through her business. So through things like the blog and the newsletter, we're able to reach people from all over the world because she says it like you can buy soap anywhere. Um, they really love our story. They love the fact that it's from the North. I think the North is so unique and there's a lot of interest in it. So I love being able to share stories with people that wouldn't have heard them otherwise. Yeah, I think the Yukon Soaps Company is really modeling just how impactful it is to use a business platform for storytelling and not just sharing stories directly about the company or about their products, but stories about Indigenous communities and cultures all across the North. And, you know, that can really shift narratives and educate people and open their eyes. And I think that audiences and consumers are more ready than ever to be hearing those stories. So what's been some of the feedback that you've gotten thus far, Eileen? Yeah, one of the first, I guess, tasks that I had when she hired me was to write a blog. And I said, well, I have this story. Like, would you be interested in sharing that? And she said, yes, I love it. It was just about my grandparents and us spending time at our fish camp and the different things that they taught us and stories they shared. And when we shared that, we got so many shares online People actually emailed us saying how the story touched them. And she's like, this is crazy. Like, I never get emails back on blogs usually, but they loved it. And that gave me the confidence to keep going with sharing our culture. Wow, that's beautiful. And again, I think people are really keen to know who the community members are behind the soap. And it's an awesome opportunity for you as a storyteller and a writer to be sharing more about your personal history and your family and your culture with broader audiences online. So it feels like a win-win. When you think about the legacy that the Yukon Soaps Company is having and the legacy that Joella is building, what comes to mind for you? Well, I think there's a couple aspects to it. Um, there's the impact in her community, Mayo. It's no secret, like we've been having a lot of issues there and tragedy and she offers a bit of hope in all of that. And I think in the larger scale worldwide, um, I think people are craving that traditional knowledge and 
realizing what colonialism has done to us and trying to learn from indigenous people to move forward in healthier ways. And I think just me, she's impacted me so much. Like I finally feel like I have a clear career path now and I'm really excited about it and enrolling in different courses. And yeah, I'm just excited about life now, so. It sounds like you're on a really great career path. Is marketing something that you would like to continue pursuing professionally? Yes. I love seeing all of the new businesses being built up north. And marketing is a huge part that I feel like we're missing and needing because people are already approaching me, asking me if I can help them. So if I can share their story and their products in a beautiful way, that's what I really am passionate about. Do you? 
So, Joella, it feels like a really momentous time to be having this conversation with you because in addition to the Yukon Soaps Company, you have these two new legacy projects. Um, the first one being Dan Kate Natse Dan, which means learning our people's way in Northern Toshone. And as you describe it, it is an online self-paced business development program for Northern Toshone women and LGBTQ2S plus folks. And it is rooted in the four core Northern Toshone values of sharing, caring, teaching, and respect. And it is designed to support aspiring entrepreneurs, I love this, to engage in traditional harvesting practices, product creation, and business development, no matter where they live. So now knowing so much more about your story, Joella, I'm like, of course you would launch this type of initiative. So let's talk a little bit more about it. And I'm wondering, like, did you just decide, oh, sure, I can fit this into my schedule? No, it didn't even happen like that at all. It's so crazy. <laughs> Is that I saw a call for funding through this new initiative, the Indigenous Innovation Initiative, that was looking for projects and would give you, you know, a really beautiful grant to be able to implement it. And so, you know, my way of thinking often is like, what are the gaps? What are the challenges? What are the pains? And how, like, what can I do if I could fix them? And so at the time I was getting lots of young people asking me, like, how was your business so successful? How did you grow? How did you scale? And then I would also have people being like, can I make lip balm? Can you show me how to lip balm? I don't know how to make lip balm. And I don't know where to order the ingredients. Or do you use plastic or do you do like all of these things? I was like, ah. You're probably getting like DMs and you're probably getting calls. Yeah, I could see that being overwhelming. So much. And I was just like, I want to help. I want to help. I don't have time to do this. So I was like, how can I package all of this? How can I do a brain dump? and pass it on. Genius. And so I was fresh out of entrepreneurs, right? So I'm like, how do I make a baby micro entrepreneurs that is really um, for our communities, but that is really like leading with our Northern Toshone culture. So how do I harness all of that and kind of like repackage it? But it, I apply. First of all, I never thought I would get it, right? I'm like, I'm just going to apply. You never know. And then I made it to the next round. I'm like, oh God. But I'd never done any kind of curriculum before. I had never done this. I was like a community builder and a soap maker. Not So it took a while to like build up the team and get it going. And with COVID, right? Like there was, you know, a huge part of my project was all this elder and language work, which, which couldn't happen. And so trying to find other ways to do that when those were like the foundations of it. And so that's the part that we've been doing the past few months when it was supposed to have been done like two years ago. There are a lot of conversations these days around what is your succession plan or what is your what is your legacy? Whereas I try like the, the colonial way, I guess, of saying that, but is like, what is my responsibility to future generations? How mm. because my business is successful because it's founded on the teachings of previous generations 
for me on all this cumulative learning and experience and that kind of thing. So what do I create that can keep going, not just the seven generations, but 20, 30, 50, and totally realizing that so many people in our communities are disconnected from this landscape, disconnected from elders, disconnected from language to no fault of their own. And so how do I bring them in and share this knowledge out with people so that they have the opportunity to create products and do all of this. And maybe they just do one thing and it's not for them, or maybe they go on to have these growing businesses. And I think a key part of it too, is like, I really focus on like, it's about, it's about a business, but it's also about like reclaiming the economy and the circular economy. So maybe your goal is really to make a thousand lip balms that you want to gift at your grandma's potlatch this summer. Right. And so it's gifting and sharing in a different way, but still using those teachings and our language to make a product that you'll be proud of to gift in our traditional way. Right. So the priority is the capacity building and the cultural confidence building, and then giving program participants the agency to decide what they want to do with these new skills that they've learned. It was interesting as part of the project, we're doing so much like language documentation. And so one of the teachings from the elders was like, yeah, you have to live your language. And so I didn't want to just make like a dictionary of like, here's the word for rose hip, here's the word for sage. I wanted it to be like active living language. And so each module has phrases and active language. So like I am stirring the pot, I am pouring the bath salts, or when I'm on the land, I feel good. So there's relevant vocabulary for each module, even like the branding and financial part. But what was really interesting is when we asked our language speaker if there was a word or concept for like entrepreneurship, and I can't say it in order to show, and I haven't learned that bit yet, but it was something along the lines of when we make money, it's good for our whole community. And mm. we were like, oh, like so, so beautiful. And like, that's what I love about Indigenous languages is like the concepts are so big and impactful. Mm. Not all the time, of course, right? But like that one, I was like, love it. Love it. And so in the program, it's also about folks getting to learn how to harvest and go out onto the land. So it's so much more than just getting the business skills. It's also about getting those harvesting and cultivating skills that, like you said, so many people just don't grow up with, right? Like it's a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. And I was really, really fortunate to build this team where I was able to hire a Northern Shoshone woman who currently lives in Lekwungen traditional territory in Victoria, but who has a deep knowledge of Northern Shoshone plant use and, you know, systems and also trained in Western plant knowledge and science. And so just by, you know, retaining her to be a part of this project, and I want to put like words in her mouth, but being able to help connect her back to this land back to her language, her elders, and to help create this knowledge for future generations. And doing the same with the woman who is our language keeper for the project. You know, she lives in Whitehorse, but she's documenting that language. Our graphic designer and systems person 
lives in Satina traditional territory outside Calgary. And so, you know, but she's from our community as well. The people that we've been able to bring a part of this team have like this vested interest in learning for themselves, but also they carry this responsibility of transferring their knowledge to future generations. And we're doing it collectively as this team of Northern Tershoni women. Congratulations on building such an amazing team for this project. And it really hits home that truth that when we do get these programs off the ground, the impact isn't just outward. It also shows up internally for everybody who gets to participate within the team and what it means for them to be growing, you know, professionally and culturally. Uh, okay, you've also got this other huge initiative that got off the ground a little over a year ago, Raven's Landing, which officially opened in April of 2022, and it is a 2,000 square foot manufacturing facility in Mayo that includes three rental apartments, two of which are affordable housing. And you describe Raven's Landing as a place for people to gather, to rest, and create. And it was named for your clan, the Crow Clan. So obviously getting into commercial real estate is not for the faint of heart. And I'm just like, how the heck did you do it? Zena, I don't know. I still <laughs> don't know how I did it. Well, and by the way, it has been booked up every time I've tried to reserve. And I can tell you in so many conversations that I'm a part of, Raven's Landing comes up as like this model example of acquiring property and, you know, taking that power back. And people are thinking, wow, like, look at what Joelle is doing. Maybe we can do it too. Yeah. And obviously I love hearing those kinds of stories because it goes back to the why. Because I mean, even this week, the pipes in the building froze and I was like, I hate being a building owner. And then it's fixed and I'm like, oh, I love this. This is so great. And I love having this beautiful space, you know? So it's this constant up and down, like so, so many lessons and things I would have mm. done differently, but I really didn't know. But I took the plunge and I felt like there was something that... So many times that I wanted to stop, 
something someone would like push to keep going I guess right and there definitely I think like there were selfish reasons that I'm like oh no I got to keep going because I don't want to you know lose face or whatever right sure. like, I do this everybody knows I'm doing it I can't stop now which is also so terrible because sometimes you just need to say no and face the consequences but anyway I chose to keep going no regrets in the end project but like I said, so many lessons and things I would do differently now. Am I about to build another new building? No. Totally believe in like multi-use buildings and downtown revitalization and reclaiming the economy. Like all yeah. of those things are so, so important to me. And I was able to do that with this building, but not without some big expenses, even the cost of building the building so that it could have housing and this like commercial industrial space meant different building technologies that cost so much insurance cost so much more so things that I didn't think of at the time that where I was just like yes 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 I want this 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 without realizing like the long-term operating costs of having multi-use and on a small small footprint I mean, before the walls went up, I had so many people asking to rent or was I putting office space in there? Everybody wanted it to be everything that our community needs. And I couldn't do that. I'm like, I am just me. And I just have this small footprint of space and zoning bylaws to deal with and old crusty neighbors to deal with. Like I can only do so much. 100%. And I can imagine just how vulnerable and emotional it is to take on a major project like Raven's Landing, all on your own. So how do you give people what they want while also keeping your own head above water and maintaining some sanity and well-being? And I feel like that's a big question for entrepreneurs all the time, especially when you're doing something big. Um, what I will say is that you guys have been doing a great job of getting the word out about Raven's Landing. And I feel like people are hearing about it through word of mouth and there's been a lot of great press. And I'm also seeing lots of advertising on social media. Yes, we've been really um, doing lots of promotion just to like let people know to come visit us that we have cool stuff. And so, I mean, that's I'm, now I'm a part of like, all these different like tourism conversations and that kind of thing but cool it's part I mean it goes with the soap business about telling the story of this part of the Yukon telling a different story than just mining and what and what we can offer and giving, giving people a place to stay
Joella, we talk a lot about the future and where you want to see things go as you're helping to celebrate Indigenous excellence and really disrupt economies. And I know that as a Northern Toshone woman, your work has been guided by a historic document called Together Today for Our Children Tomorrow. Um, some of us are familiar with it, um, some of us aren't, but for those who don't know, it was produced 50 years ago uh, and it recently celebrated its 50-year anniversary, which was a huge deal, particularly in the Yukon. And it was brought into creation by Yukon First Nations leaders who all knew that the future had to be brighter and better for their people. And on February 14th, 1973, a delegation from the Yukon traveled to Ottawa and presented the policy paper to Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. And it was a really big deal. And ultimately, it paved the way for the negotiation of the first modern-day treaty in Canada. And since then, it's been a driving force and a really powerful point of reference, not just for Yukon First Nations, but I think Indigenous people all over the world. So my last question for you today, Joella, is how has that document shaped you and the vision that you have for future generations? What a big question to end on. I mean, I guess in the most simple way is I really see my business and the work that we're doing as honoring that vision, implementing their goal, really listening to that message that they carried forward back then about creating better communities, standing up for our rights, giving justice where it's needed, and putting back the responsibility to our people to care for each other and for our land and for our communities the way we should be and in accordance with traditional law and governance and and value systems and so I really try to aspire to be something that our ancestors would be proud of like here they are look at the work that these women and this community is doing. We worked hard for them to be able to do this. That's what I want. And then in, in the next 50 years, hoping that those people look back and see the work that Yukon Soaps, Dunkin' Raven's Landing, and all of our entrepreneurship family, that we are also doing something of similar value and weight and and epicness to create a better future for those people following behind us. Uh, I don't want to get too emotional. Um, if I had to describe Joella, I would say pure love. Like she's such a loving person. She's a giver, like always giving and just trust people like puts that trust into them and by doing that it automatically 
gives them confidence. She's a great mentor to people. Any events that she attends or is asked to speak at, she always tries to bring youth along with her. I think that's so important. I think like young people are facing a lot of struggles and we complicate it too much. I think if you just expose them to these things, bring them along with you, let them see all these different opportunities, that'll spark something in them. And she does that. She's done that with me and and countless others, and that's her gift. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Joella and Eileen are such an impressive duo, and the way they work together really inspires me. They both do an excellent job of staying active online, so go follow the Yukon Soaps Company and check out their website. There you can read Eileen's blog posts and also learn more about Raven's Landing and Dan Kate Natse Dan. Venture Out is a podcast production of Entrepreneurth. Our co-producer is Travis Mercredi. Our lead researcher is Jess Duncan. And the song you heard in the middle of today's episode is Brave Face by Diet and the Love Soldiers. Also, a big shout out to Leela Gilday for providing us with Venture Out's theme song, Fires Across the Tundra. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to Venture Out and give us a five-star rating. And be sure to share your favorite episode with a friend. We would love to hear from you, so reach out to us through Entrepreneurs Instagram and Facebook. We'll see you next time. 